Dear Heavenly Father, I pray we would clothe ourselves with humility as the garb of, of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from us. I would pray that all listeners today, we renounce pride and arrogance. And Father, give grace to the humble. Therefore, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that in due time you may exalt us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may we cast the whole of our care, all of our anxieties, all of our worries, <coughs> all of our concerns for our future, once and for all, may we give them to you. For you care for me and for the listeners of this broadcast. Affectionately, you care. And you care about us watchfully. I would pray, Lord God, that we expect a, a life of victory and awesome deeds because our actions are done on behalf of the Spirit, humbly submitted to your truth and your righteousness. Father, in the name of Jesus, we refuse to be wise in our own eyes, but choose to fear you and shun evil. This will bring health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. Father, we humble ourselves and submit to your word that speaks, it exposes, it sifts, it analyzes, and it judges the very thoughts and the very purpose of our hearts. We test our own actions so that they might have appropriate self-esteem without comparing ourselves to anyone else. The security of our, your guidance will allow us to carry our own load with energy and confidence. I listen carefully today, Lord, and I pray that each listener would listen carefully and hear what is being said to us. We incline our ear to wisdom and apply our heart to understanding and insight, humility and fear of you bring wealth and honor to life. Father, I pray for Brother Ray, who's in the Gospel of Faith Church. Brother Ray's mobile home that he stayed in as caretaker out there at the church burned down. Um, I, I, I believe it was a propane leak. And he was—he got out with his, his, his bottom of his pajamas, one boot and one slipper. And if anyone is listening, he needs help. He has nothing. So we lift him up in prayer today. We lift him up that God would meet his need and help him. That God would touch those around him with a compassionate heart to help get him back on his feet. We pray for each and every one of our listeners on this broadcast today. If it's healing, may the Lord touch you. If it's financial, may the Lord touch you. If it's marital, may the Lord touch both of you. Whatever your need is, Christ has the answer. I pray that you would receive it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Well, good morning and welcome to Spiritual Awareness with Pastor Davenport. Um, 
as you notice, I put back the other music. Um, our, our listeners kind of fell off a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that that they don't like my singing and my piano playing, and that's okay. Uh, we only try to do what we can do to make things better. So I'm taking that we, we had quite a bit fall off. So um, I'm going to go back to the, the other music and uh, drop me a line. You know, that's all I ask. Drop me a line. Let me know uh, if you like the broadcast, what, you, what you'd like me to preach on. Um, if, if like that, if you don't like the music, then say, say so. We're going to be back in our uh, part two of our series. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, 18 and 19. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, this Petro, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever thou shalt bind upon this earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on this earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I want to look at the words bind and loose. They're perfect uh, passive uh, particles in, in the Greek language indicating that things have already been forbidden or permitted. So we can't just do whatever we want and expect God to bless it. We must do what he wants and the blessing will come automatically. If the contractor builds a house for someone, he sticks to the blueprint, right? Which is the, the will of the purchaser. If we want to build a church, we need to stick to the blueprint, the Bible, which is the will of the purchaser, which is God. In other words, otherwise, we are, we're not really building a church, are we? So in the first part of this series... Um, we did principles one, two, and three. So principle four, if we continue, is the apostolic agreement in Acts chapter two, verse one. And in Acts chapter two, verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So that tells us one thing right there. Now in America today, to come together in one accord, I boy, you must be in a Honda, because I don't know that you're going to find five people in this <coughs> country that's going to come together in agreement in one accord. So one accord, homothamanda, this unique Greek word uses six times to refer to the church in the Book of Acts, and it helps us understand that. Uniqueness of the Christian community. It helps us understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. It is a compound of two words, meaning to rush along and in unison. To rush along and in unison. Now, the image is kind of a musical one. A number of notes that sounded, which while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. Like the instruments of the great concert, under the direction of a, of a, a concert master, 
So the Holy Spirit blends, if you will, blends together the lives of members of Christ's church to accomplish this purpose. So there are 58 one another commandments in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you are in fellowship with other Christians. Now, I'm going to say it again. There are 58 one another commandments in the New Testament that you cannot obey unless you're in fellowship with other Christians. That's where the body of Christ comes in. And here are some examples. In Galatians 5 and 13, it says, you must serve one another. In Romans 15, 7, you must accept one another. Colossians 3 and 13, forgive one another. In Romans 6, 16, you must greet one another. Galatians 6 and 2, bear one another's burdens. Romans 12, 10, be devoted to one another. Honor one another in Romans 12 and 10. Teach one another in Romans 15 and 14. Submit to one another in Ephesians 5, 21. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says to encourage one another. That's a big one. We as Christians, we as brothers and sisters in Christ should never discourage. We should always encourage one another. Amen. The power of the unity is one of the most powerful forces on this earth, whether for good or evil. The Tower of Babel proved this until God confused their language to defeat their evil unity. Genesis 11:6, and the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they can imagine to do. In his prayer, before his betrayal, Jesus prayed that the world might see a united church. Say it with me, a united church. It shouldn't be Baptist or, or Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic or Jew. It should be God's house. It should be brought together by the love of Jesus Christ throughout. It should be non-denominational. And I'm not talking about a denomination called non-denominational. I'm saying the church should be non-denominational. There should not be a denomination because that's when we run into problems. And I know that a, a non-denominational church has now become a denomination of its own. So the power and the unity is one of the most powerful forces, Christ said, on earth, whether it's for good or evil. In Genesis 11:6, six, I'm going to say it again. The Lord said, behold, the people are one. In John 17, 21, that they all may be one. Say it with me. That they may all be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. <coughs> Our cities are not lost because of the devil's power is greater than God's, but because we expend our energies on our own agendas, on self-promotion instead of self-sacrifice to God. We cannot pray, thy kingdom come. And so we pray, my kingdom go. Our kingdom, our earthly things. That's, this, that's with, with, 
within our hearts needs to go and then bring in the kingdom of God. Put Jesus in your heart. Let him dwell within you. Bring the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Ghost down upon you and then live that. And then you'll find others who believe the same as you believe. And suddenly the body of Christ has come together with a power and great spirit. And God will do wonderful things. Amen. Somebody lift your hands and shout amen. In the temptation out there has killed thousands upon thousands. But disunity is, is ten thousands. That disunity of the church has taken a toll. And babies die easiest in a fight. No one has ever left the church because of God. But God's reputation can be ruined because of his children. In Romans 2 and 24, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. It, it is written, I would have I would have become a Christian were it not for observing Christians and seeing them. That's what Gandhi said. I've seen them. I've seen them fight. I've seen them I've seen them throwing each other out of the church. In Ethiopia, the church does not pray for revival or preach about revival. Instead, they pray for unity. And they preach doctrine from the Bible itself. And God sends them a great revival. <clears throat> Three principles of unity. I'm going to give you. Three principles of unity. Unity does not depend on uniformity. Unity does not depend on uniformity. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Ye also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house. Now that's the first time you've heard that, isn't it? You think of a church as a building. God thinks of you as one of those stones, those living stones. And they are built up in a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, bricks are uniform. Stones are unique. Every member is not the same shape, but all are fit, fitly joined together by the master craftsman, Jesus Christ. You see, you don't lose your personality when you gain your identity in Christ. Unity does not depend on compromise. There is only one church in the New Testament. And when Jesus prays for unity, he is not speaking of denominations coming together and fellowshipping around the lowest common denominator. In fact, the one world church order prophesied in the Bible is a tool of the Antichrist. Jesus Christ is speaking of a real unity around the message first preached by the apostles. In our society that, that regards all values, beliefs, lifestyles, and truth claims as equal valid, there is now only one universal virtue, and that's tolerance. 
But if tolerance is the cardinal virtue, then there can be only one evil in tolerance. That is exactly the attitude that we are seeing in America today and around the world. In our society that regards all values, all beliefs, all lifestyles, and truth claims as equal valid, that universal virtue is tolerance. In the United Nations Declaration of Principles on Tolerance, tolerance, that's what I said, involves the rejection of dogmatic, dogmatism and absolutism. Isn't it ironic that the, the, the proponents of the new tolerance are so dogmatic about dogmatism and so absolute in their uh, opposition to absolutism? In other words, any system that believes in absolute truth is by definition guilty of intolerance. You don't even have to say anything. If you even think that there is an absolute truth, then you are intolerant and thus an inappropriate object of intolerance. Wow. To the modernist, non-agreement is phobia. And phobia comes in everything right now. There's transphobia, homophobia. There, there's, there's, there's the Democrats and the and the Republicans, and they're, they're fighting and fussing. And 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 while and while they're fighting and fussing, America is going into such a spiral downward. This is why the proponents of tolerance have no problem being intolerant towards Christians, because we believe in a big biblical truth: one God, sin, and evangelism of the other's face. The spirit of the new tolerance has in great measure infiltrated the church in these last days. That's why many Christians have the false idea that all interpretations of scripture are equal and to tell someone their belief or behavior is wrong is being judgmental. But the Bible contains the absolute truth, my friends. Glory to God. It contains the absolute truth. Vance Havner, the New Testament church was an intolerant church. At once, we throw ourselves open to the broadside of protest. Intolerant is a scandalous word to use these days. For if there is anything that is in style among our progressive churches in today's world, it is the word tolerance you would think that intolerance was the unpardonable sin. We're majoring as never in all church history on being broad-minded. That we have become so broad-minded, we have become also pitifully shallow, never seems to disturb us. We must broaden or we bust, of course. Some experts in tolerance can be amazingly intolerant of those who do not share the broad-mindedness, but that does not disturb them either. It doesn't. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 26, in the New Amplified Bible, And the servant of the Lord must not, not be quarrelsome, 
fighting and contending. Instead, he or she must be kindly to everyone and mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. They must be skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer a wrong. They must correct their opponents with courtesy and gentleness in the hope that God may grant and they will repent and come to know the truth, that they will perceive and recognize and become accurately acquainted with acknowledge by acknowledging it. Verse 26, and that they come to their senses and escape out of the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him henceforth to do his, God's will. Unity, say it with me, unity. Unity and revival does depend on you and I. That's a fact. Unity and revival. Now, Jesus prayed his prayer of unity in the presence of his bickering, prestige-seeking disciples. How must they have felt? How should we feel if we are not honoring his request? You see, the will of God is subject to the will of mankind, where the church is concerned. Preachers preach what they want to preach. Listeners listen and figure it's gospel. They don't check. They figure it's gospel because the preacher's saying it. When a father wrestles with his child, he restrains his strength, as Jacob did. His strength is made weakness, and to a great extent, the child will be imposed. So I want to move on to principle number five, altar calls, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. In Acts 2 and 38, then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Repent. Say that with me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when I talk about tolerance and I talk about all this stuff, I want you in your Bible. I don't ever want you to on this broadcast to take it my word for it. I want you in the Bible reading it with me so that you know that I'm preaching the word of God. The most important question that anyone can ever ask is the question first asked on the day of Pentecost. It says, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And most important answer anyone could ever give would be their response to that question. What about the gospel? That is being preached in most churches and Christian literature today. Do they answer as the apostles answered? Or do they de deviate from it? Do they, do they really preach the same message, the whole message about the Bible salvation? The word gospel is from the Anglo-Saxon word Godspell, meaning God's message or good story. We use the transliterated term good news in place of the Greek word eugagalin. And usually think of it as meaning only the good tidings themselves. However, in the Greek language, the word eugagalon, and I have trouble pronouncing these, 
actually signifies a present given to one who brought good tidings or a sacrifice offered in thanksgiving for such good tidings having come. So we have to be in the word of God. Amen. So therefore, the gospel, the gospel signifies not only the message of, uh, of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, the good news, but also the, our response in thanksgiving for such good tidings having come. In other words, obeying the plan of salvation. The most important part of preaching the gospel is the altar call. So, you know, it says, tell me, preacher. Tell me, preacher, what, what must I do? I don't know how many times I've been asked this question. How many confused sinners have left altars being told they were saved after repeating a sinner's prayer, but knowing differently in their hearts? Having someone re repeat a prayer and pronouncing them saved takes away the conviction of the Holy Ghost prematurely. Before repentance can lead to salvation, this is a spiritual, really a spiritual abortion. We are interfering with the work of the Spirit of God when we try to bring to birth a baby that isn't ready. It takes not only repentance, but baptism and receiving of the Holy Ghost to be saved. God would rather see one true converted convert than an ocean full of decisions. And there's, there, there's, there's three steps to obedience. First, that person must repent. Repentance is actually the very first step with action involved that we take towards salvation. Because we have a sinful nature and have, have committed sinful acts, it is essential that we repent and turn to God. So when they walk down that aisle, they're brand new to the church, never been to the church before, walk down the aisle, yes, praise the Lord, I'm saved. Have they repented truly? Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as unclean things and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our inequities like the wind have taken us away. Repentance is not merely feeling sorry, feeling sorry for your sins because the preacher made me feel bad, although that's part of it. In fact, it's, it's the godly sorrow that causes us to repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, for, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, <clears throat> but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Repentance is biblically defined as a turning around or an about face. An inward change of attitude, <coughs> excuse me, leading to an outward change of action. A change of attitude leading to an outward change of action. Unless both of these occur, real repentance has not taken place. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. When I repent, I am applying the death of Christ to my life. 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that again. In Matthew chapter three, verse eight, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. When I repent, I'm applying the death of Christ to my life, making it effective in me. In Romans 6 and 6 and 7, Romans 6, verse 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old man or old woman is crucified with him, I'm paraphrasing, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. For he or she that is dead is freed from sin. Paraphrasing again. And then once you've repented, truly repented, you know, that doesn't mean you go to church, you go to the altar, you're saved, get out of church, you go to you go to the market, you buy a 30-pack of beer, and you go start all over again. That's not what that means. It means you change your life and you live for God. And then the second portion is water baptism. In water baptism, we call it immersion, is indeed an outward physical act. But our obedience to the terms of God's covenant accomplishes an inner spiritual work. That is why the Bible, there is so much, so no such thing as a Christian who hasn't been baptized. Some people ask that, do I have to be baptized? A good answer is, no, you get to be baptized. Just look at this the list of some of the issues that are dealt with when an individual is baptized in Jesus' name. My sins are washed away or remitted, accomplishing God's full work of forgiveness. Acts 22, 16. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> My conscience is washed and cleansed so I can be free from my past, the past way of thinking. <coughs> Excuse me. It is like 60 mile an hour winds here and the dust is stirring. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth or the flesh, <coughs> But the answer of a good conscience <coughs> towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My body is buried in a grave of water, portraying the death of my old life. As Christ was crucified, went into a borrowed tomb, a grave, and was resurrected, we too go down into the watery grave. We're immersed into a watery grave, completely immersed. Body, mind, spirit, and soul. And then we are raised back up, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And the old has passed away, and behold, all things shall become new. That's what it is. That's what it is. So when someone asks you that, when someone asks you that, I have people who ask me all the time, well, do I have to be baptized to be a member of your church? Number one, we don't have members in our church. We belong to the body of Christ. And number two, no, if you've been baptized before, anywhere, you've been baptized into the body of Christ. 
if not you need to get baptized but first you need to repent in colossians chapter 2 verse 12 buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of god who hath raised him from the dead i'm born again glory to god i'm born again of water portraying the birth of my new life my new heart my new soul in john 3 chapter 5 jesus answered verily verily i say unto thee except a man i'm going to say or a woman i'm paraphrasing be born of water and the spirit they cannot enter into the kingdom of god understand i paraphrase i am brought into god's covenant of the new testament salvation portraying the cutting off if you will of my fleshly desires the sin the alcohol the drugs whatever it may be in your life that's holding you back from god it cuts it off and the past becomes the past which is why it's called the past we're purchased or or brought into god's covenant in this new testament salvation portraying the the cutting off the destroying of the old life and being born again and new how many times do you think anyone gets a second chance that's what we offer through god that's what god offers to you through his son's death and resurrection through the blood of christ the grace of god in colossians chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of christ buried with him in baptism in other words so i take upon myself the name of jesus christ which is the only saving name above all names and i let christ live within me in galatians chapter 3 verse 27 for as many of you have as have been baptized into christ have put on christ i apply the burial robes of christ to my life making it effective in me in other words it's not me it's christ living in me in other words you walk with jesus hallelujah in Romans chapter 6 verse 4 therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in the newness of life glory to God I don't know how else to put it to you out there that are listening you have a chance your friends your family has a chance to start a brand new life clean of all their bath their bad doings their sin they have a chance to come up out of that water baptism a brand new creation all the old has passed away and behold all things become new in Christ Jesus apply the burial of Christ to your life making it effective in him you know i i tell people it's it's a demonstration of publicly that you are being 
you're beginning a new life, committing yourself to Christ and to the church family, wherever that church may be, no matter what denomination it may be. Like I said, you're not being baptized as a member of a denomination, a particular church. You're being baptized in God's church, the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. Glory to God. Glory to God. Do we see revivals like that where 3,000 people come to the Lord? No. Because the denominations are all fighting one another, bickering back and forth. Which doctrine is better? Whose doctrine is right? Whose doctrine is wrong? Let me tell you whose doctrine is right. The Lord Jesus Christ. The more a believer studies the Bible, the more they find out about the, the, the miraculous events that happened back at the time of their salvation experience. A small matter of saying yes to the terms of God's covenant leads to a lifetime of spiritual relationships and discovery. Much like the small matter of saying I do to the terms of one's wedding vows leads to a lifetime of discovery, all implications of those two words uttered in that instance of that wedding. Only heaven will reveal the full wonder of God's work in us in the moment of our baptism. When you go down and you come back up, refreshed, renewed in the spirit of the Lord. Then I want to talk to you a little bit about the Holy Ghost baptism. The baptism of the Holy Ghost provides power to help you live for God. It brings me rest and peace and joy. It'll bring you the same thing. In Isaiah 28, verse 11 and 12, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. In Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. And the joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost helps me pray. In Romans 8 and 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what to, we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. In other words, before you make, you go to God in prayer, the Holy Spirit is already at the right-hand side of God interceding on your behalf. In the book of Jude, not very many people listen to the book of Jude. They don't go to the, they don't read Jude very often. But in the book of Jude, chapter 20, I mean, verse 20, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. What does the Holy Ghost give? It gives me power to witness and to, to, to others about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's awesome when you're filled with the, the Holy Spirit. When you're anointed of the Holy Ghost, 
it gives power. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, now listen. I want you to listen to this portion on the broadcast because this is what a prayer partner, a prayer warrior, a shepherd of prayer, all of you that listen to this broadcast. In Acts chapter 1, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, <coughs> and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, wherever you're hearing the sound of my voice, you're in that, you're in the uttermost part of the earth. And it is our duty as a child of God to tell others of the good news of the gospel, of the good news of, of this thing called Christianity. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this one went pretty long, so I'm going to scramble through here real quick. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, hmm, glory to God, and when they had prayed, say it with me, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken, hallelujah, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled, say all, all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, with boldness. See, it teaches me, it guides me, and it shows me the things to come in my life. In the book of John, chapter 14, verse 26, in closing, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Glory to God. In John 16, verse 13, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. <coughs> Excuse me. The Holy Ghost, it gives you power over the enemy, over the devil. In Isaiah 59, 19, for example, so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up the standard against him. First John chapter 4, verse 4, ye are of God. Say it with me. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise Jesus for that. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That means Christ is, abounds within you. And greater is Christ who abounds within you than the devil that's outside. It completes, the Holy Ghost completes the work of salvation in my heart. In Romans 8 and 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any person, paraphrase, have not the spirit of Christ, he or she is none of his. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Wherefore, I give you understand that no man or woman, I'm paraphrasing, speaking by the spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man or woman can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, when I say I'm paraphrasing, 
it, the scripture always says he and I add in she. That's all that paraphrasing means. We must always preach the truth in love. But we must always preach the truth, period. We do not love a person when we refuse to tell them about God's plan of salvation for their life for the fear of offending them or the fear that they won't understand or the fear that they won't speak to us again. We tell the truth. So anyone is welcome to attend our church, Gospel of Faith Church there in Ashford, Arizona, and even be involved with it. However, merely attending church services does not make anyone a Christian. We must build God's church in God's way. In God's way. We must build a body of Christ through the vision that God has given us all. When someone comes and tells you that their church says this can't happen or that can't happen, it's like that. I was told I could not have gay people in our church. That's not what the Bible says. For whosoever believeth in the name of Jesus Christ can be saved. God's doors are always open. And God's doors should always remain open. For Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father love all of their children. Now, may the Lord bless you richly. May he make his face shine upon you. And may the glory of God just come out and shine through you like a new dawn of morning. May the glory of the Lord shine about. I pray peace, love, Upon each of you this day. Today's the 23rd. I understand that Lisa Marie Presley was buried this morning in Graceland. I don't usually follow that stuff, but I was an Elvis fan, so I send a special prayer asking God to open the gates of heaven that her and her dad and her son might be reunited. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.